Good morning, and welcome to Grace Harvest. So glad you are here to worship with us as we come and celebrate on this Sunday morning, as we do every Sunday, the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to take a moment just to thank all the folks that came out yesterday uh, to help with uh, this, the, 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 the ditch out front and uh, getting it ready uh, to make sure that it's easier to cut out here in our septic field this summer as well. And don't worry, even though we murdered the bushes out front, uh, they will come back. Okay, that's what somebody referred to me. My wife went, pulled up. She said, oh, dear. But uh, it will, it will, they, will grow, they will grow back. Uh, another announcement I want to make, ladies, uh, a very successful ministry we have here is the Supper with Your Sisters. I just want to encourage you all to sign up. Uh, I, the bulletin uh, says that, you know, it's limited to 40. Please sign up. Uh, that, that was, uh, wasn't meant to come out that way. That's on me uh, as the pastor. And so we just want to make sure, ladies, sign up. Uh, there will be room for you. Amy's already made room uh, in other houses available. So just go ahead and sign up. Don't let that hinder you from coming. That's one of the, the most positive feedbacks I get from the ladies here is the opportunity to go meet other women, have a time of, of a devotion, and then to share each other's hearts and have some good food there as well. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. Um, you can do that online under our ladies' ministry. This morning, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. Uh, Pastor Cal mentioned tonight D3, and I just want to encourage you to come. Pastor Cal will be preaching tonight, and he'll be preaching on the sovereignty of God through the Old Testament saint Noah. So I encourage you to come. I'm really looking forward to that time tonight and to be fed. So today we'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. So if you didn't get any Bible reading in this morning, you're going to get some now. So if you'd stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, if you are able to stand, please do. If you cannot stand, please remain seated. uh, So from Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I was crying greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came to look, excuse me, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. 
And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and, and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures again saying Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Then I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder Come. And I looked and behold a white horse and he who sits on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out, overcoming and to overcome. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the living, third living creature saying, Come. And then I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sits on, that, on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, One conex of wheat and one denarius for one denarius, and three conex of barley for one denarius, and, no, and do no harm the oil and the wine, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four, fourth living creature saying, Come. And then I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sits on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the witness which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Oh, how long, O Master, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was told to them that they should rest for a little while until the number of their fellow slaves and their brothers, who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed also. Then I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men of the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to? to stand and father god your people have come and we stand before you father mere men and mere women bought with the precious blood of your son our lord and savior jesus christ i pray father that today's sermon is an encouragement father it is the hope that you give us so that we have nothing to fear we who are in christ i pray father that the sermon is an encouragement and correction where your children need to be corrected I pray, Father, for the one or two that are here or listening online that do not know you, Father, and they will dread this day the wrath of your Son. 
I pray, Father, that this would be the day that they would come to saving faith. May you receive the glory and honor for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we are in the End is Near sermon series. This is week five in the sermon series, but week three into the tribulation period. As we have, you have been introduced, we have been answering the questions when. The question for the when was at the time of the rapture. After the saints of God are raptured away, then the tribulation period begins. Who was involved? We went through those for several weeks. We talked about the Antichrist being the political and military leader of Satan. We talked about his false prophet who will be the religious leader. will get the world to worship the Antichrist. We talked about the tribulation saints and how they would be martyred and persecuted because they do not take the mark of the beast and they will not deny Christ and they will be slaughtered by the millions. And then uh, we saw the, the 144,000, the 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And someone brought that question up during a, uh, a uh, sermon discussion this past week and said, well, we understand there's only two tribes that they, can under, they know who they are. What about the other ten? Believe me, folks, God has not lost his tribes. He knows exactly who these people are and who they will be as he has uh, called them before the foundation of the world to be part of that 144,000, the witnesses that will go around the world prophesying and sharing the love of Christ. And then we have the two witnesses that we talked about last week and those witnesses that I believe are, uh, there's, there's evidence but we cannot be dogmatic on it, that it's Elijah and Moses who will spend the last three and a half years in the city of Jerusalem, and they will proclaim God's truth to a world that does not want to hear it. They will be uh, spared from anybody trying to kill them until finally God allows them to be killed. They will lay in the street for three days, and at the end of that time, God will raise them up. And uh, at that time is when, the, when our Lord and Savior comes at his second coming. So that brings us to, we've introduced all these people. So what happens during this seven-year period? I want you to understand something. Through this sermon series, this mini-series I'm doing, obviously we're giving a 10,000-foot view of this, and we're not on the ground walking down a path. I did that for a year. I spent uh, a year uh, walking through the book of Revelation. It is online. Uh, I go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter through that. If you want to want to review that, you, you're more than welcome to do that. But what I want to do here with this series is get us as Christians an overview so you don't have to be afraid of what's coming and you'll have a clear understanding of the basics of what's going on during this seven-year period. And so now we go back to see what events happened to all these people I've talked about for the past several weeks. Look down in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sits on a throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then I was crying. This is John. He's writing this. He's been given this vision by God. And he's crying greatly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. You can imagine being John. He's there and he's seeing this and he's got, this thing needs to be open and nobody can do it. It is vexing him at this point. 
And then see in verse 5, And one of the elders said to him, Stop crying. Stop whining, John. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and the seven seals. So why? Why is Jesus the one that's allowed to open the seal? Look at verse 6. Then I saw in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incest, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and purchased for God with purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So here clearly is saying, giving us the reason that Jesus is the one that's allowed to open up the seals. And the reason he did that is because he's the one that came, suffered, and died and rose from the dead so that he could satisfy the wrath of God. We who are his children, we understand this, that we were sinners and we needed salvation. We could not save ourselves. No religion could save us. No man could save us. No woman could save us. We were lost. And you might have, you might be there this morning. You might be in a place where you think that, that as long as I'm a good person, I'll be okay. But that doesn't satisfy God's anger against your sin. If you've committed one sin, you've broken all of God's laws. The Bible's clear on that. And I've never met a person that's committed just one sin. Never. And so as we, we stand there, we stand guilty before a holy God. And so yet God, in His mercy and grace, sent His Son. 100% God, 100% man. Why? Why did He have to be God and man? Well, He had to be God so that He could take the sins of the world upon Himself. Sinless. He was a spotless lamb. He had no blemish on Him. He was the perfect sacrifice. There was no sin because God cannot sin. He had to be man. Why did He have to be man? He had to be man so He could die for those sins. And so as he was on that cross and he, and, he, and he suffered the wrath of God, God's anger against our sin, he willfully did that. And when he died and he rose from the dead, he sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for every one of us who are believers. And because of that, we can sit back with great joy in our heart, read the book of Revelation, read the, the trials and tribulations that come, and have no fear of what man can do to these earthly bodies. That's where you should be, Christian. I want to take a moment and just say, uh, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but I know there will be questions. Why seven horns and seven eyes? These are symbolic. Jesus doesn't have seven eyeballs and seven horns. These are, these are symbols, and they're the symbols of wisdom and strength. Seven is the number of completeness, of perfection. The slain lamb is immensely strong and immensely wise. And hence the numbers. And then you want to, may wonder about the Spirit of the Lord. What, what, what is this about? In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, is a reference to the Holy Spirit using a sevenfold description. This is the Holy Spirit. 
In, in uh, Isaiah 11:2, we read, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. You see, this prophecy is that the Messiah would be empowered not by seven individual spirits, by the one spirit described in seven ways. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of fear of the Lord. It's there. It's, it's not confusing. And people look at this stuff and they, just, and, they, and they put it down because they're afraid of what it says. Well, I don't want to see Jesus as having seven eyes. That's not what it's saying here. It's talking about who Christ is and his infinite wisdom and his infinite strength. And so as we, we look at this and we see this, this needs to just fill your heart with joy. It needs, it needs, you should, as, as we sang the Revelation song today, as we sang these words that I've read, it ought to fill every Christian with awe of our God and wonder at His mercy and grace and why He would even bother to bend His ear to hear mere men and mere women speak to Him. And yet He has done that. Do you feel that in you, believer? Is there, there's, is there an excitement? In you as you see the glory of God revealed? Listen again to what John records, inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the vision he's seen. You were slain and purchased for God. With your blood, people from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. The joy from heaven is revealed in verse 11 of chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them. It was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them i heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever in verse 14 and the four living creatures kept saying amen so be it so be it and the elders fell down and worshiped you want to know what all that worship was about, all that spontaneous outburst of worship that we see described here, because the saints there, they realized that the long-anticipated defeat of death, of Satan, of sin, is about to be accomplished, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself will return to earth in triumph and establish His glorious millennial kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped up. I shared with the earlier uh, sermon today, the earlier 8 o'clock service, I said when I coached high school football and uh, uh, on Friday night, you know, if you played football, if you played any sports, uh, you know that there's a certain amount of emotion, especially when you play on Friday night and or, or any time you're playing a varsity sport level and, and, and especially a, a violent sport like football is. And you get your players, you get them hyped, you get them pumped up. You talk about, you know, you're getting across this team. They don't really like you. They don't like your mom. I heard them saying nasty things about her. And uh, I'm just kidding. And, but you get them hyped and you get them pumped up. 
and you get them excited to go out and play, and they play a, they play a great game, hopefully, right? Well, I'm going to tell you what. When I was preparing this sermon this week, and I'm in, the, in my office upstairs in my house by myself, my dog, my little boxer, my St. Bernard's, they don't come upstairs. They're scared to death to walk the stairs. But my boxer, my faithful boxer, he comes and he lays down next to my side every week as I prepare my sermon. And he probably looked at me kind of weird because why was I crying? Why was I crying as I'm meditating and praying over this scripture? Well, folks, those were tears of joy. Joy knowing that I am going to witness this very thing. You realize, Christian, this is you. You're part of that myriads upon myriads of people that are there watching this unfold in heaven. And you will be saying, Amen. And you will be saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Now, if that doesn't get you excited as a Christian, I don't know what will. And, and, and what, what motivates you in your life to be an obedient slave to Christ? You were slaves of sin. You have become slaves of Christ. The problem with us is we have removed the shackles of sin and somehow we think that we can do anything we want to do. That we don't have to obey Christ anymore for some reason. Well, I'm saved. I'm free to do that. You can't tell me what to do, preacher. No, I can't tell you what to do, but the Holy Spirit in you is going to convict you when you're doing things wrong. It's my responsibility as your shepherd, you who have placed yourself under my spiritual authority, to guide you in what Christ has to say, what the Bible, the Word has to say, to, to encourage you when you need encouraging, to correct you, to admonish you, to love you, to do all those things to strengthen your walk with Christ. You can't do that if you're not part of the body of Christ. You can't do that if you're outside looking in. You can't do it if you don't yield yourself to the spiritual authority that God places over every one of us. The Bible tells us to submit to the elders that God puts over you. He does, he does it, and we're commanded not to do things by compulsion, lording over anybody, but to live lives that are sacrificial to the body of Christ. To weep with those who weep. To rejoice with those who rejoice. And I wept over this sermon, not out of fear or, or, or being upset, I, I wept over joy of knowing that my Savior loved me enough to die for me. That one day He will return. When, why, you know, we, 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 we might ask ourselves the question, will I be the one that witnesses the event in person of the rapture? Will that be you? Will that be I? Well, I tell you what you don't have to worry about. You'll be, you will be the person that witnesses this event in heaven. And you will return with Christ at His second coming to rule in the millennial kingdom. And we'll get to that in the weeks to come. After Jesus receives from God the Father the scroll that nobody else was worthy to open, sealed with seven seals because he is worthy and has the authority to do so. No one else has that authority. God has given Jesus the right, uh, the right to judge the living and the dead. We talked about that with the judgment seat of Christ. He, will, he judges Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. Again, it's for our 
worth and unworthiness, the stuff that is unworthy, doesn't mean that it's sinful. The things that we have done standing before God that amount to nothing for Him, they will be burned up. It's not a place of judgment. Remember that. When you stand before Christ, you're in your glorified body. You have, there is no sin. There's no remorse, no jealousy, no envy, any of that. So if you stand before Him, He will reward you with the crowns that you have done for Him. And He will burn up the works that we did for ourselves. But you will not stand in an account or give an account for your sin. Why? Because it was dealt with the minute you repented. It, the minute that you repented of your sin and you said, I trust in you. If that is not true, God's a liar. God is a liar and He cannot be a liar, can He? God is God who He is and He's just and merciful. And He said when you confess with your mouth that His Son is Lord, you are His forever. Past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. It doesn't mean that we won't sin. It doesn't mean that we still need to confess our sin. We do need to confess our sin, but not for salvation, for relationship with God. Your prayers are hindered when you're in sin. When, when we are in sin, we cannot communicate with the one who has forgiven us of our sins. We must repent of that sin. When we Every other week when we're here, the second and fourth Sundays of the month, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, that's a constant reminder for us as believers that we come with our hands that are clean and a heart that is pure, seeking God's forgiveness for our sins. But we are secure in that salvation. If you are His today, if the Lord comes back, you will return with Him. If you were here today and you breathe your last breath this very day, you'll be with Him in paradise forever if you belong to Him. But dear one, if you don't know Him, if you were to die today, you would die in your sins. There is no second chance. You would die and you would face Christ at the end of the millennial kingdom before the great white throne judgment and He will cast you into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Why do I stand here week after week and share the gospel week after week after week? Because my heart breaks for the men and women and young people who've rejected Christ that may be sitting in this room this very hour. God desires for all to be saved and none to be lost. But we who are Christians, we look at this with excitement. The scroll that He has given contains the title deed to the earth. Jesus is coming back to reclaim what is His. Beginning in chapter 6, the scroll is unrolled and the seals broken. The unrolling of the scroll marks the beginning of God's wrath and judgment on sinful mankind as the Lord takes back creation from the usurper. And who's the usurper? Satan. Remember, Satan during this time, he's the ruler of this world. The reason there is so much chaos and 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 craziness going on in the world where it seems like it's turned upside down is because Satan is running rampant. There used to be more barriers in the world than there is today. Even the ungodly held sway or were held at bay because there was enough of the righteous people out there that were standing for truth, but now that has acquiesced. And we have a world that is turned upside down where the depraved mind is the normal mind today. And if you stand for Christ, you're called names and you're called evil and you're called hateful. Folks, the only thing hateful is when we don't stand for truth and we don't share the gospel in love. You speak the truth in love. Remember that. And that is the hardest thing sometimes for me to remember. 
I get just as mad as you do when you see the headline scroll across your phone as you get a news update. I just saw one this morning. And uh, in Minnesota, the, the, the Human Rights Commission uh, said that the weightlifting uh, community in Minnesota has to allow trans women to participate. A man has to be allowed to lift weights with women. And they say that it's discriminatory not to do that. Well, how did we get to a place where we turned everything upside down? Well, it's leaving God on the shelf all week. It's taking your Bible, leaving church, putting it on your shelf, never giving God another thought, never praying, never living it in front of Him, never involved in anything of God, and just live your life. And what happens is we have become that frog in the pot that as the water boils, you're just comfortable where we're at. Just watch, just, just pick any topic you want to and go look at what the public thought of something in 1960, 1980, 2000, 2020. See what they thought about something and you'll watch. Just for one, homosexual marriage. Um, in my day, I'm 66 years old. I uh, went to high school in the 70s, college in the 70s. Uh, if you would have asked 100 people, you might have found two people that said homosexuals should be allowed to marry. It's a flip now. The vast majority of people think homosexuals. Matter of fact, it's weird if you think they shouldn't marry. That there's something wrong with you. And so we move from homosexual marriages now that we have people that think that they're women or think that they're men. And God created them male and female. And they're, and they're trying to usurp what God has done. They're calling God a liar. And all of this is happening in this world. And folks, I'm telling you, we as Christians need to stand firm no matter what the world says to us, but we do it in love. In love. And that's the key. We don't return evil for evil. We don't speak hateful to these people. We don't call them names. These are souls that are lost and doomed to hell. Share the love of Christ with them. And so as we move back to the seals here, we see that the unrolling of the scroll makes, marks the beginning of God's wrath and judgment on sinful, sinful mankind as the Lord takes back creation. So think about this. We always kind of think of Revelation as this time that, that evil is rampant, which it will be. The Antichrist and the false prophet are going to do all this stuff. But don't forget it's God. That's God's Antichrist. It's God's devil. It's God's false prophet, and he allows them to do all these things so his will will be accomplished. And here comes the worst of it. After all the things that the Antichrist is going to be doing this time, God is releasing these judgments upon a wicked and evil world, and his people will be there during this time, people who come to saving faith. And so they will experience the same wrath that God has against the unredeemed through these seven seals that we'll be talking about, the people of Christ have this one thing different than the rest of them, and it's all that matters. They belong to Him. They're not fearful of death during this time. They know that if they die, they'll be in the presence of the Lord. And so each of the scroll's seven seals represents a specific divine judgment that will be poured out sequentially on the earth. The seals include the entire period of the tribulation period. So seven years... These seven seals will be poured out during these, uh, opened up during these uh, seven years. The first four seals will take place during the first half of the tribulation. The fifth 
stretches between the first and second half, and the sixth and seventh take place during the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments that we find in Revelation 8. And the seventh trumpet, which is in chapter 11, verse 15, contains the seven bowl judgments. So that means that all of the judgments are encompassed within the seal judgment. So you have the seals, you have the trumpet, and you have the bowl judgments. So let's get to the first seal, Revelation 6, 1 through 2. It's false peace. The first seal is false peace. Then I looked when I, the Lamb opened up one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, Come! And then I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sits on it had a bow and a crown and was given to him. And he went out, over, out overcoming and to overcome. So, again... We always pick these four horsemen, as you will, the whole horsemen of the apocalypse, and always think that they come from the pits of hell and they're Satan. This is God unleashing them. God's unleashing them. And chapter 4 and 5 describe the praise offered in heaven to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 praises God as Creator, while chapter 5 praises Jesus Christ as the Redeemer. But suddenly... Here, as the seals begin to be opened in chapter 6, the praise ceases. The praise stops. It's anticipation of the judgment that is coming forth from God. As each seal is broken in the vision, what is written on the scroll is not read. It's acted out. It's not read, it's acted out. In response to the angel's summonses, a white horse came forth bearing a rider. The first four seals involve Horses and riders, again, the four horsemen of the apocalypse is what they've been called. The rider had, what did he have with him? He had a bow, but no arrows. And that, it, and that he was honored here with a crown that was freely given to him reveals that he is a conquering, his conquering that will take place will be without blood. It'll be a bloodless victory. So this represents... Here, he is no king and no real monarch's crown does he have, a diadem, but he has won a crown from the world for his triumphant achievements leading to world peace. This is the first horseman. He comes with no weapon. It's a false peace. He will unite the people of the world, and he will not conquer by military means. He will conquer by cunning and deceit. His conquest will be a victory, a peace won by agreement again. Even as the final doom of the world approaches during this time, the Antichrist will promise a golden age of peace and prosperity. Peace, follow me, peace will come. Peace will come. In gratitude, the world will honor him and elevate him to a position of supreme leadership. But, but both the praises and the peace that he gets will, gives will be short-lived. Remember, we're talking about a seven-year period. As we've discussed in the past, the first three and a half years are going to be the period of relative peace. Then he's going to break his covenant with Israel, and he will, he will then usher in this, this great persecution of the church that has sprung up during this time. So now that brings us to the second seal, which is war. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come, and another 
a red horse went out, and to him who sits on it, it was given to him to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So the world's joyful mood now. Everybody's in love with everybody. It's a big love fest. Uh, everybody has peace and harmony. It's now going to be turned upside down as the second horse and its rider appear on the scene. Those who know your history, you can relate to this as, as it, think about um, Chamberlain during World War II. He, before World War II started, he comes back. There's a famous picture of him holding up a piece of paper saying he's made peace. He was the English prime minister. He's made peace with Nazi Germany. Peace, no war. Not long after that, Hitler invades Poland. False sense of peace. And the Antichrist will do the exact same thing. As the lamb broke the second seal, John heard the second living creature summoning the second horseman saying, Come! And immediately the red horse went out. Red is the color of fire and blood and it depicts war. God's judgment descends and the short-lived false peace led by the Antichrist dissolves into a bloody holocaust. Now folks, you don't have to go, you know, there's, there's there's folks in here who served in the military and served in combat zones, and you've seen the horrors of war up close. I, I've seen death, and I've seen multiple people killed uh, on at homicide scenes, and uh, it is it is not a pleasant sight. All of us now, I mean, it, when I was a child, we we were I was protected. Um, you, we played. Cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians and you got shot and boom, you fell down. You went to the movie theater and you saw John Wayne shoot somebody. There wasn't body parts flying all over the place. People just dropped dead. You thought, okay, they'll just get up in a couple minutes, right? But now when you turn on a television set or there's movies out there that, that I watch them uh, and I would say that that's as real as real can get without the smell. You see stuff that, that's out there now on television, but it's still not real death. If you've ever seen the, the, the films of War One, when the soldiers would climb out of the trenches and run across, or pictures of World War II when, when you would see uh, a German SS officer walk behind men kneeling down in just black and white film, pulling the trigger and shooting the people and killing them. You wonder how can anybody do that? Or you see the concentration camps and you see the, the horrible pictures of that and, and what war involves. And it's not just not fascism, it's communism as well. It's Lenin and Stalin and the millions they killed in, the, and, uh, in China during the purge and in uh, Cambodia, uh, the killing of, their, of those folks. All of this, these, these pale pale in comparison to the horror that's going to be displayed during this time. And Christian, remember, you will not be here for this. And that's the hope that God gives us. Warning, folks, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, if the Lord was to come back today, you would be living through this period. Even if you came to saving faith after the rapture. You'd be living through this. And God is giving us this warning. He's saying, listen while you have time. Today is the day of salvation. This false peace that ends in 
war and brings death upon the earth, we need to understand the judgments of the tribulation do not reflect the wrath of men or the wrath of Satan. They are God's wrath poured on the world. You need to understand that. God is the one orchestrating this to happen, to punish the wicked, to pour His anger and wrath. 2,000 years ago, He only poured it out on His Son. That's what He did. He poured it out on His Son, not, not man. He poured it out on His Son. There will become a day of reckoning when the saints are under the altar, the martyred saints, and say, Oh Lord, when will You avenge us? Soon. Soon. You see, don't you love the way Scripture depicts Jesus as the meek lamb who came spotless and took away the sins of the world? How is he described here in Revelation? As the lion. How many of y'all look at a lion and go, Oh, he's really cute. Let me go in and feed him. We'll do that to a lamb, won't we? Everybody loves a little lamb. Comes up, Oh, look at that little cute thing. He's so precious. We don't say that with a lion, do we? This is the lion of Judah come. And he is coming to... To, to render justice upon this wicked world, to pour out the Father's wrath. It is He who holds the seven-seal scroll and the Lamb who unrolls it. Men will slay one another on a scale that has never been seen before. The Antichrist's false peace will dissolve before the, ver- the world's very eyes. The Antichrist will be as skillful at war, though, as he was at promoting false priests. How do, uh, peace. Do you know how we know this? Daniel, chapter 8, verse 24. Daniel, chapter 8, 24, describes him. It describes his career as a warrior. Again, Daniel 8, verse 24. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an astonishing degree and succeed and do his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And among his victims will be the many of God's people. Daniel chapter 8, 24. He's going to be good at what he does. He's going to have a silver tongue. He's going to convince people to follow him. And then he's going to wage war like a, like a Julius Caesar. As the head of a Western confederacy, the Antichrist will initially portray himself again as a champion of peace. He will even appear to do what no one has ever been able to do. And that tells us that he will uh, broker peace in the Middle East. He will make a treaty with Israel, posing as their protector and defender for three and a half years, and then he will break that treaty. And then the Antichrist attempts to crush his enemies and rule them with an iron hand, and it will touch off wars that will last throughout the remainder of the tribulation period. The third seal, famine. Revelation 6, verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the living third living creature saying come then i looked and behold a black horse and he who sits on it had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying one coinex of wheat for one denarius and three coinex of barley for one denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine revelation chapter 6 verse 5 and 6 and so as the lamb broke the third seal the mighty voice of the third living creature announces the coming of the third horse and rider famine and famine is a is a consequence of worldwide war as food supplies are destroyed and farming interrupted i i am the son of of a man who uh, grew up during the depression my dad was born in 1919 
And he grew up in the Depression in uh, New Jersey. And I remember him telling me stories where he remembers when the ice truck would come and they'd buy blocks of ice and they would put it in the freezer <laughs> to refrigerate the food. My dad would go out in the morning and go down to the river and he would fish so they would have food to eat. His dad died when he was two years old. And I remember, I always wondered why my dad had all, he would always have cans and cans of stuff stuck in his pantry all over the place. Him and my mom could never eat it all if they wanted to. And I always say, Dad, why are you doing all this? You, you know, we got the grocery store we could go to. Uh, then COVID hit. <laughs> and you think about all that. Did you go to the grocery store after COVID hit? I remember getting a phone call and someone said, hey, pastor, you might want to head to the grocery store. I said, why? He said, because they just told one of the biggest companies in Richmond for their people to go stock up on food. And sure enough, I went to the grocery store and it was almost all gone. That was just over just one little thing that happened. And you imagine what it's going to be like when, fa when the wor world's at war. I will tell you this. I, I bought right along with the fear. I was, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of those idiots. I just ran out of toilet paper from, the, from my COVID stash. Had it all stacked up upstairs. I told Kathy, I said, well, at least we saved money, right? Because it goes by the stuff now. But isn't it amazing how a little thing like that, I'm looking at my dad like he's something wrong with him for stocking up on food. And he goes, you just don't understand. My mom, we tell stories how they would, during World War II, she would get rationed on everything. You know, things that you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't think about that they had to be rationed. Everything was rationed. They had little coupon cards. They had to have coupons to go to the store to purchase items because of the war effort. And they weren't even bombing us. You imagine what it's going to be like where the whole world is at war? God has used the famine as a means of judgment in the past, but this will be the most devastating famine in all of human history. The pair of scales the writer carried in his hand pictured the rationing that will be a result of the famine. There will be starving people searching for food, but they will not find enough food to live on as the fourth seal in John's vision communicates to us. John heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures. And since the four living creatures were stationed around the throne, these are angels, this is likely the voice of God here that's in the middle of them, the one sitting on the throne in Revelation 4, chapter 4, verse 2. He speaks here as a reminder that the famine is a direct judgment from Him. From Him. God reveals how devastating the famine conditions will be. A koinex is a measurement of wheat that can sustain one person for one day. Okay, So that's what the Bible is giving you here is a description of how much food it takes to take care of one person for one day. And then they describe the denarius. The denarius is the average day wage. So we're not talking about uh, folks at the high end of the economic status here, we're talking about the average worker. The person who, who goes to work, works 40 hours a week, gets a day's worth of pay. And basically what he's saying is that day's worth of pay will only feed one person. Not a family of five or seven or three or two. It'll only feed one person. Those with families will be able to purchase three quarts of barley for one day's labor. So, if you know anything about barley, the difference in barley and wheat, I will tell you this, that during the Roman Empire, the legionnaires would take wheat with them, and each legionnaire was given some wheat, and they would, uh, they, there was a group of them, they were like tent mates within an individual century, there was 80 men in a century, and when they would camp, 
these tent mates, there was eight to ten of them, they would get together, they would take the little bags of wheat out, they would fit, and then one guy would make bread, they would take turns, and they'd make bread out of the wheat. They didn't use barley. You know who got barley? The slaves. Slaves ate barley. And so what the Bible is, and they would have understood that here when John wrote this. Barley was good for slaves, good for animals, not for people. He's saying it's going to be so bad during this time that families aren't going to be able to eat. Only eat stuff that's fitting for an animal. So a person's wages will barely feed their family. What are they going to do? Well, this is what happens. The fourth seal brings death. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7, And when he opened up the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. Then I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Remember, God's releasing these. One horse at a time. And he who sits on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. So the fourth seal in this vision follows the pattern of the first three. The lamb broke the, the seal and the fourth living creature summoned the fourth horse and its rider. John describes the final horse as a pale horse. The horse's color vividly betrays the color of death. Appropriately, the rider who sat on it is called death. Death on this massive scale is the inevitable consequences of widespread war and famine. It's, 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 this is so chilling and, and, and such a terrifying scene that John saw death and then Hades following it. And so what does it mean here? What, what's he talking about? Well, Hades is the sphere that imprisons the dead. Those are the ones who don't know Christ as Savior. They are in their waiting place, their holding place. And those who don't know Christ during this time will be sent there. Where saints during this time, believers who come to saving faith, to be absent from the body, they will be present with the Lord. This is referring to those unbelievers, the ones who have received the mark of the beast, the ones who have rejected God and have followed the usurper. Hades appears in Revelation four times, always trailing death. In Revelations 1, chapter 18. In Revelation 6, verse 8. In Revelation 20, verse 13. And in verse 14, all four times, it's always trailing death. Here comes Hades behind death. And, and most of you know your mythology, ancient Greeks. Hades was the god of the underworld. Now, he is seen as a dreadful monster who swallows up the dead in this description we're given. But we know that Jesus held the keys to death in Hades as he had previously announced that in back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is what Revelation 1, verse 17 says. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, this is John. He writes this and he says, do not fear. He's talking to Jesus. This is Jesus talking. Do not fear. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys to death and of Hades. As horrible as they are, the power is limited to what Christ permits. If there's nothing else you're getting from this, is get away from the notion that this somehow is happening uh, outside of God's control. It is not. This is all being handled by what God has ordained will happen. 
the extent of the death and destruction produced by war and famine is then quantified. Authority was given to death and Hades to destroy how much? A fourth of the population of the earth. I want to put that in perspective for you. There are nearly 8 billion people alive today. That would amount to 2 billion deaths. 2 billion. You want to put that in perspective? There are 333 million people living in this country. 333 million. So what is that? Six times the amount of our population would have to die around the world? And that's exactly what's going to happen. A death scale that the world has never seen. Death will use four tools in his grim task. The first three elements, the sword, famine, and pestilence, are often linked together in Scripture. The sword, war, and famine have already been revealed in connection with the second and third seals that we went over a little while ago. The fourth seal intensifies these conditions. Pestilence refers to disease as the cause of death, but is broad enough to encompass natural disasters such as earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and floods. It could also refer to the effects of biological and chemical weapons. There's not going to be any discretion about what's used during this time. And throughout human history, disease has killed people, far more people than war has. During the war between the states, when Union and Confederate soldiers died, over 600,000 deaths during that four-year struggle. But battle deaths were only 150,000. Men who died from, uh, on the battlefield or result of wounds was 150,000. You know how many? The other 450,000 died of disease. That's hard to believe. That was just in, in a small area in this country 150, 170 years ago. What do you think is going to happen when it's worldwide war? What's going to happen then? An estimated 30 million people died during the great influenza epidemic of 1918 and 1919. My grandmother, Hannah Mae Wells, she had the flu when she was pregnant with my dad. who was born in 1919. Fortunately, God spared her. But there were over 30 million people that died during that time. That, that is more than three times as many as the estimated 8.5 million soldiers who died in the battlefield during World War I. Crazy, isn't it? And in that war, they tell us that 6,000 men died a day during that war. will not even compare to the amount of deaths that will occur during this time. So at first glance, the occlusion of the wild beast here with war and famine and disease may seem out of place. Like, you know, what's your first thought? You're thinking, okay, well, the zoo's going to be opened up and they're going to let all these lions out and stuff? No, I think what, what it's referring to here is that creature called the rat. And it, and it thrives in populated areas. And rats have been responsible for uncounted millions of deaths throughout history both for eating food supplies and especially by spreading disease. And of course, most of us are aware of that infamous black death that occurred in the 14th century in Europe that wiped out one-fourth to one-third of Europe's population. Kind of fit the numbers, one-fourth, one billion people from disease, from famine, from pestilence, from war. And these first four seals clearly describe 
the frightening judgment unprecedented in human, unprecedented in human history. There's nothing that has happened since John had his vision that could be a fulfillment of these judgments. And all due respect for our, our brothers and sisters who are brothers and sisters in faith who do not hold to the pre-tribulation of uh, premillennium uh, theology and doctrines of eschatology. I want to point something out that John wrote this book of Revelation in A.D. 96. Do you know what happened in A.D. 70? Jerusalem was conquered when they rebelled against the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was very gracious in the, in, for their period of time to p- conquered people. They rebelled against them. They, they, they crucified tens of thousands. They burnt the temple. They destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. Do you think that John would have written this book and had reference to 70 A.D. and written this 20 years later? All the things that John is describing revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wrote down for us to understand is to happen in the future. Is to happen and he gives it as a warning for people to be ready. For his church to be ready. To have the, 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 the desire to proclaim the truth. You, we need to understand, folks. And I, I'm going to stop here at the We'll pick up with the fifth seal next week. But we need to understand something, folks, that the, the, the time that God has given you and I, that's our end time. Okay? We are in our end time. Whether He returns today or a hundred years from now, He is. we are in our end time. Whether He raptures us home or we're taken home when we breathe our last breath. And so how, how do we live this life? What, 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 what do we do? You know, we're averaging here 70 more people a week than we were the same time period last year. Take January and February, we're averaging 70 more people a week here. Our Sunday school is, is starting to overflow. And uh, as, as, as we see what God's doing, we say, why? Why, why is this happening? Why, why is God blessing Grace Harvest? When I hear stories of other churches dying around this area, we had a family that's visiting today, and they drove an hour to come to church. When I talked to the father this week, he's, he said that, you just don't understand, Pastor, we're starving for spiritual food. We had a woman who wrote us this week, sent us a donation outside Pittsburgh, wrote us a card. Said, Pastor, thank you for explaining Revelation in such a clear, understanding way for me to understand it. She was a 62-year-old woman. How, how God is using us, using you and me, because this church is a church that Christ has preached Christ is taught and Christ is lived. And you're the ones living it. It's you. It's you who are living Christ each and every day. You who the world sees as something different. What is going on in your life that makes you different? Why, why is your church growing? Why, how, why is it that you're telling me things I've never heard before? How many times, folks, have you heard somebody you've invited here tell you, and I, I, I've been in church all my life and haven't heard what I hear here. It's nothing new. It's in the Word of God. The problem is that so many people want their ears tickled. They don't want to hear the truth. And again, for you who are visiting, this is not normal for us here at Grace Harvest. I, I go verse by verse through Scripture. And I'm not doing that through this sermon series, obviously. And then 
But we need to understand something. God has called you to be his at this specific time, at this specific place, to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I living my life as salt and light that God has called me to be? Remember in our study of Matthew, you guys that were with us three years ago and we walked through the book of Matthew for almost three years and we saw how Christ and the great Sermon on the Mount said to you and I, you are the salt. You're going to bring life back. And you're the light. You're going to shed light and drive back the darkness. And we don't do it on our own. We do it through the power of Christ in us and we're faithful. One step at a time. We always talk about revival, right? I heard some wise man say one time ago, you want revival to start, start, draw a circle. Step in that circle and let the revival start right there. Let's start with you. Get on your knees before holy God and ask him to forgive you for not living for him as you should. Christian, I'm getting ready to start a, for those who have joined us in the past three years, I'm starting a, a new members class. It'll be on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. You're welcome to join me. It'll be in the youth room at 7 o'clock. I, I pray you come to hear more about what God has in store for us here at Grace Harvest and each of our responsibilities. In just a moment, I will stand up front. And my prayer is that there's somebody here this morning that God has called to be theirs. I won't delay i won't tarry i don't try to manipulate anybody but if god has called you to be his i I pray that you make that known today and some of you god has called you to be members at this church not a perfect church but a place that serves god and has a desire to follow him a place that desires to preach christ to teach christ to live christ and some of you have never followed the lord in believers baptism you were saved but you've never been obedient and followed. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's the outward sign of the inward change. And it's a, it's a public testimony saying to everyone who witnesses it, I am a follower of Christ. And he is my Lord. And God may speak to you a way that I could never imagine today. I'll be available up front. If you want to pray with me, you won't let me know of a decision. If you're going to join the church, come. You come as the invitation in just a moment. But join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and your comfort. And I pray that your people are comforted today, those who know you as Lord and Savior, knowing, Father, that we will not witness your wrath here on earth. That, Lord, we will be those praising your name. And as we sang the Revelation song today, we will be saying and singing to you in heaven. And we will be professing from our lips that you are worthy, O Lamb of God. You and you alone are worthy. And you alone have showed us mercy and grace. O Father, thank you for your love that we do not deserve. Thank you for the mercy that you have given to each one of my brothers and sisters in Christ and me. Thank you, Father, that I do not have to live a life of fear that I can face each day knowing that I am your son and I will spend eternity with you. Thank you for the joy in my heart and my life that's 
Father, and I pray that it always reflected in my attitude, in my speech, and correct me quickly, Father, when I sin. And Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, be a comfort to them. Father, I pray that your word has been encouraging. And Father, may your will be done in this place this day. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. You come as the Lord leads, as Pastor Cal leads us.